Welcome to episode 162 of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University <laughs> in West Lafayette, Indiana, where, amongst other things, I forget where I am, uh, and talk about things like video games, video games, video games. So tonight we're joined by two fabulous guests. Um, who are going to talk to us about an edited collection uh, that they've done and that I'm actually using in my games and narratives class right now. So I'm excited about that. See? Um, and so we're joined tonight by Treyandria Rustworm. I got it right now. And Jen Malkowski. <laughs> How y'all doing tonight? Good, good. Yay. Yes, um, doing well. Yay. So we're gonna do introductions in this in just a second because we also have two of our regular our podcast regulars, um, Bianca Batty. Hello <laughs> and Alicia Carabinas. What's up? All right. So um Trey and Jen, how would you like to tell us? We'll start with we'll start with Jen since Trey, you've been here before. Um, and you're not a guest anymore. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like my house. Once you've been in my house, was you're not a guest anymore. Um, straight to the refrigerator, Sam. Exactly. You're like, can I have some? You know where the kitchen is. Uh, <laughs> so, Jen, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Sure. So, I'm an assistant professor of film and media studies at Smith College. And Trey and I are co editors of this new book, Gaming Representation Race, Gender, and Sexuality in Video Game Studies. And I'm teaching a brand new class at Smith called Video Games and the Politics of Play. So we're using the book and using other things. Um, and Smith, Smith just built a brand new video game research lab. Ooh, nice. um, so oh, we nice. have our own space to play. And yeah, the students are really excited. That is Very cool. awesome. Yeah. Can we all just have like a half moment of silence for all of that? <laughs> for our weird patch together lab. <laughs> no, I mean just that that Smith College is building this space. That's more colleges need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. yep. All right. And Trey, who are you? I awesome. am Trey Andrea Russworm, an associate professor of English at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And uh, this is my second time on the show, so I feel like I can just help myself in the fridge. Um, <laughs> when I'm not helping myself to the fridge, I'm on sabbatical, which means I've forgotten <laughs> everything else about my academic profile, except <laughs> that when I am teaching, I tend to teach classes on video games or new media, both of them. And um, I, Gaming Representation is the book that we're here to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's my favorite of the books that I've been involved with recently. Um, I was here last time to talk about Blackness is Burning and Race and the Politics of Recognition. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
Yeah, I do not have a lab, but I I will not give up. I will not give up on you, UMass. Um, <laughs> you right have. I'm, I'm pitching to somebody who I'm I'm sure is not listening right now. My chair, <laughs> but uh, my classes are you know pop. They're oversubscribed. People want to take these classes, even though I talk about topics they don't really want to talk about. When they when they talk about video games, they still take my classes. And uh, I think that being in the same area, Jen and I live, reside in the same area, the five college area. So having this precedent set by Smith and mm. Amherst College too has really good resources for games is making the big public university, uh, you know, look bad. So I think I think I'll get it. We'll, we'll get it. We'll <laughs> get something. A, we'll get you a have that awesome classroom though. Yeah, I know I do. I have a really great teaching space. So we just need a space for students to be able to play the games outside of class. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the space is always a premium on these campuses. So it's not yeah. even the, equi yeah. the equipment is easy to come by, actually. Yep. It's just having a dedicated room um, that is secure enough so that the equipment doesn't walk away and can be monitored. And so that's the sort of layers of bureaucracy and logistics that have to kind of coordinate and align for me to be able to have that space on this kind of campus. Um, so I think, it, you know, it's a, a unique set of challenges. But when I visit you guys in Indiana, we can talk about some of those things, too, you know, of, of just strategize. That's what I'm saying, my proposal to come visit you guys so <laughs> um i can spoil we'll share, our we'll solution is a big ass lock okay you know but i gotta see the lock in person <laughs> make this yeah. convincing take some pictures you know lock. take some pictures write some notes let you know, i found a lock <laughs> this so. is definitely a necessary work trip yeah paid for by is. the university Touch the lock, connect with the lock, collaborate, <laughs> embrace the lock. Well, so, yeah, you've got to make sure that you can't break into the lock, right? Is this really the lock that you want? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's, I mean, that's a serious thing is, you know, one of the challenges of teaching, there are several, I think, unique challenges to teaching games. Um, but one is just, you know, where do you expect students to play these games? You yeah. can't just say, as I have been saying for many years, you know, I put that, my students work in teams, so I put them in teams with people who do have either laptops or, you know, consoles that they, that they can share. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't always say go with those other people and share. There's some safety issues and concerns. Right. Mm -hmm. that are really yeah. obvious with that kind of setup yeah. um and you know the universities usually respond to safety concerns so mm -hmm. that's yeah. a good point yep um if if i may tomorrow the glorious bianca and i are going to speak at a symposium on games and academia at ball state and that's one of the things that we're talking about right yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah about how access is such an important part of choosing a game to teach in like a generalized classroom. Mm -hmm. Just, you can't always be sure that people can get to mm -hmm. what you want them to see. Mm -hmm. Right. right? And, and those safety concerns, hardware concerns, students don't always want to come to you and be like, hey, I can't afford that. Right. Uh, and yeah. so often I see stuff appear on a syllabus that doesn't have those kinds of considerations behind it. It's a conversation we need to have over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since you're already talking, who are you, darling? A big fan of these fabulous people. I mean, you're okay too, but 
Well, thank you. I really like our guests. Um, I'm Alicia Carabinas. I'm a PhD student at Purdue University where I am a professional thorn in Sam's side. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Bianca's the good child. I'm the bad child. What? No. Bianca, who are you, darling? The good child, apparently. That makes me sound so boring. Oh, my goodness. She's not boring. She's just good. Okay. Well, I'm Bianca Batty, and I am also a PhD student at Purdue in my fourth year now, uh, focusing on literary studies and looking at games as something that the field of literary studies needs to interrogate much, much, much more. So that's me. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here with you all. Yay. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> all right. So we'll start with our usual. What you playing, what you reading, what you drinking. Uh, especially that drinking part, because that's always the most fun. I'm sorry, I'm covering my mouth. Um, uh, and then move forward to have a conversation with Trey and Jen. So since we try to pretend we have manners around here. Well, how do you manage? <laughs> we try to pretend. We're going to start with Jen and Trey and then move forward. Um, Jen, what are you playing lately? Well, since I'm teaching, I'm playing almost nothing in truth. But I'm playing stuff for my class. So I'm playing some things I assigned that I had never played before. Uh, recently, for the first time, I played Kim Kardashian Hollywood. <laughs> okay, I have to admit, I have to admit, I played that when it came out. Yeah, well, I was teaching, I wanted to assign a casual game marketed to women. Mm -hmm. And I thought this is, you know, this is a very successful game in that category. But I don't know. I didn't know what heels to pick. I didn't know which of the boys to romance. I clicked on things and I didn't know what happened. It was not a rewarding game for me. Uh, but yeah, so I played that. But um, when I do have time, I know you guys have been talking about this on the podcast lately, but I have been playing Stardew Valley. That was my game of the summer before the semester started. So try to get back to the farm here. Okay, wait, informal poll. Should I turn Stardew Valley on right now? No. <laughs> Okay. I can't play. I can't play NBA 2K, but you can play that. Oh. Did you hear how loudly you were clicking those buttons? <laughs> <laughs> that shit is serious. This is a farm. It's very chill. <laughs> oh, and I've been playing. Um, in the gaming lab, we have the PSVR, so I've been trying out the VR games. Nice. Oh, yeah. So we got them. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, I tried out the PS uh, PlayStation Worlds like demo disc that they made. Mm -hmm. There's some interesting stuff on there. I mean, it's all like mini games basically, but there's some of it where you can see a lot of potential for kind of longer um, narrative and action-based games. The main problem is you're always standing still, <laughs> no matter what. So they have like a shooter game basically, but you they have to keep coming up with scenarios where you are rooted in place so in one of them you're like tied up and someone's trying to torture you and in another one you're in a passenger seat of a car and the car is moving and you shoot out the windows and um so yeah there are some constraints but the vr is pretty cool cool my students are so enamored with vr right now yeah. um they're they're working on projects 
and uh, we have a center on campus where they do a lot of creation of VR software for like training purposes. Like they have a virtual pharmacy and like lab and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And they went to see it recently and they're now they're, they're coming back and they're so excited. They're like, gonna, they're going to solve every problem you've <laughs> ever thought of with VR. <laughs> Yeah, see, I have three of those, uh, three of the grad students over in CGT who are working in that VR lab, and they are so into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but only one of them is actually working on VR um, as you know a part of their scholarship, and he's interested in VR as game in games and not the uh, professional sims that they run on campus. But so yeah, we we talk about VR a lot in class. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Trey, what are you playing other than NBA 2K? I'm, <laughs> I'm mostly only playing NBA 2K. I, I got a slow start to the season playing it um, because I was mourning LeBron's loss in the finals last year. And I was I just had an extended mourning period and I wasn't going to play basketball this year um, because the Cavs are not going to do well. But anyway, I, I got it. Every year I get it. I say I'm not going to get it. I always scan my face into the game, even though I have questions about what happens to that dat that biometric data. And even though I'm <laughs> writing about how screwed up some of this is, every year I do it. You I do scan it anyway. myself yeah. in. I'm amazed at how I look in the game, um, digitized and masculinized, you know, and uh and I have and I have a confession to make about NBA 2K that I am not ashamed of and that is I buy the virtual currency I buy it immediately I have no qualms I buy it the day I buy the game I buy it um the How game is like $60 the game is like $60 and I usually put $50 you get these packages so I usually put a $50 down immediately give me 200 a uh, thousand VC, which buys you nothing now that the game charges you for haircuts and everything that you wear. So a lot of my virtual currency goes into customizing what I'm wearing off the court <laughs> because now there's a whole neighborhood that you're walking through and negotiating. So a lot of my money goes there, but I also level up the player immediately because to do that in game would take the better part of this year for me to get to a decent place. And the narratives of these games are always like, you're this phenom, you're amazing, you got shoe deals coming. And then I'm like, a, you start at like 60 overall and you get like four minutes a game to play. You know, so <laughs> I cannot live that life of trying to level up with four minutes a game, you know, to make my name. And meanwhile, the commentary is like, he's amazing. You know, and you're like, I'm not minutes. amazing. I'm not amazing. I scored one, you know, one free throw, and you guys are giving me a shoe deal, so I can't stand that. Um, but also, just the time it would take for me to get to that place is just not. It doesn't work. So I immediately buy the VC, and it doesn't do what you think it would do. Like my player is good, but you're still on a team. The team, you know, maybe average. You're not going to dominate the NBA with that fifty dollars, but it, it makes it bearable to me. You um, just uh, you just described my middle school basketball career, which was like <laughs> four minutes of playtime, one free throw. One free throw. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, you don't want to be have the middle school skill set and be the next greatest NBA star, you know. So it just I, I do it every year. And every year the microtransactions get crazier and crazier. And, you know, as I said, I've, I've written about this game recently and I'm writing about it for a future project. So I have a lot to say about its world. 
uh, and it's the stories that, you know, the films that are a big part of this experience. Um, but just from the fan side, it, yeah, I, I do enjoy it. It takes a lot of time. Um, it's a grind, you know, it took me forever to load the gym to just get my player in the gym so that when, you know, maybe when this is over, I'll shoot, practice some free throws or whatever, but continue to level up because the, the VC that you get to get to like an 80% overall is still, you know, not enough to get you all the way, you know, to MVP status or whatever. You still have to play several years in the game, or at least I do, to, you know, really be something to write home about. So I'm playing NBA 2K um, 18, most of the my career mode, but now I'm playing other modes too as a break. And then I also started um, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Horizon Zero Dawn. Yes, I did, but I really just started it. And I'm okay. so I don't have a lot to say about it, except that I'm intrigued. I'm a little cu- puzzled or just interested in its representation of, of diversity <laughs> and of difference. Ooh. There's still a lot going on there with locks <laughs> and I don't know. And did you, I don't know who these people are. I don't understand enough of the story yet. I do know that I found some tapes of some like lesbian lovers, and I was like, "Wow!" That yeah, was when you, when you fell down the hole. Yeah, you right in the beginning you fall down yeah. the hole. You hear the lesbian lovers, and there were black people and black people memories and things. And I was like, "I don't know how I feel." So <laughs> I'm I'm here for it because it had so much um critical acclaim so we'll see i'm gonna write it out um and I, you know i like dystopian tech type games and so i'm interested in the story but i'm we'll see how my patience holds. let me just give you yeah. let me just say two words to you mm-hmm. and, and give you give you an idea stardew valley <laughs> you need to stop trying to bring people into no, the home. no never stop it's the stardew valley <laughs> Okay. All right. I resisted for so long. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to say that, you know, I thought this sabbatical would be the year of games where it's like, I will play everything, everything I'm even remotely curious about. But I really haven't played that much in the time, you know, the two months so far of this. Well, Trey. I have not played that much. I can't promise. I know. I got to, I got (laughs) to. Play more. I mean, I thought you would, you, you think you have all this time to do whatever you want to do, um, but not so much. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. I'll be lucky if I play a couple more, couple more games all the way through. I do want to comment though on, I, I'm really glad that you brought up the virtual currency notion. I, I think so often, like there's this weird stigma attached, like, Oh, you're paying to play, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Mm-hmm. It's you're you're paying to shape your experience and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't have tenure money, so I don't buy any virtual, <laughs> yeah. any virtual currency. Yeah. I have grad student money, which is no money. It's negative money. But someday <laughs> I actually I- thought of you this year, Alicia, when I, when I bought <laughs> the virtual currency, because I remember you saying all the time, I don't have that tenure money. And I was like, <laughs> I have that tenure money. Not only does it make sense to me from just the experience standpoint, but I have disposable income. You know, it's like buying two games, but I'm getting one game and a decent character. So not a problem. Experience the way you want to do it. I think that's great. I love it. And and you know, but then I read that they made like five point six billion dollars last year. On microtransactions. Wow. That's what virtual uh, concepts, visual concepts um, 2K made 
was $5.6 billion just on the microtransactions. Wow. And then I felt kind of sick to my stomach. But I was <laughs> like, I'm gonna still pay this $49.99. It'll be like next October and the new game will be out by the time my player makes the playoffs. You know, like that's how for but real you're you're it is. you're paying for an experience that is gonna last you far longer than even buying two commercial games brand new would. Right. Yeah. And I play this all year. I will play this until the play in the NBA playoffs. You know, so I will play this. And then the your team will lose and you will burn it, right? <laughs> and then my team will lose, and I will swear I'm done with basketball. I'm taking a break. And then late October of next year, I'll buy it again because the NBA season will start. And it's just, you know, it's a cycle. So, uh, but I, but because I play it so much, you know, I've really started writing about it. And I am interested in its storytelling, the storytelling of this game and its whole, like, world around your character. It's got, like, GTA in the game now. Um, or at least a scene from GTA, not the g gameplay exactly, but like the, the environment um, is there. So, yeah, you know, that's the experience. It's, it's, it's enjoyable, time consuming. Cool. All right, uh, Alicia, how about you? What are you playing, darling? Trey Andre, what, Rushworm Fandom. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just really glad that you guys are here. Um, <laughs> just really the same old for me. So uh, some of my game time disappeared in the last couple of weeks. So people who are um, big internet citizens probably heard about some of the drama around one of the internet's longest lived gaming forums, NeoGAF, <laughs> basically disappearing in a day. It returned in a diminished capacity, but I have an ongoing research project with the NeoGAF forums um, involving, I've been writing about it, the mafia community playing, you know, social deception games, forum-based, asynchronous, play-by-post. Um, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff that happens with this community and the fact that, like, their game design is all very visible and open and you can see how they're balancing games and thinking about mechanics. And that's not information you can get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, I just really like the people in this community. But the forum went down. And we thought it might be dead. And it's been around for like 20 years. So I've been a member for 11 years or so myself. Uh, nobody expected that. We scrambled for 17 hours to save this community's history, to archive the games, to try to save everything. I really want to give some shout outs to a couple of people. They know who they are for working so hard to save things. But um my friends, when they finally figured out how to save stuff, they saved the content I needed for my research first. Aww. I know. Instead of their their own community's history, they saved my stuff first. Aww. And then they got their stuff. And we've we've compiled everything. We've got double backups of some things, but we're the forum's back up, so it's fine. We can get that stuff whenever. But we also got involved in the creation of an entire new space. On the internet, we got uh, we're almost at like we're over twenty five thousand members in like a week. Uh, that's at resetera.com. I helped write some of the documentation for this forum, so I'm very proud of it. Yeah, twenty six thousand members right now in uh, maybe a little over a week, trying to create an inclusive and welcoming but broad space for gamers to discuss things. I'm gonna tell you that's real difficult <laughs> for obvious reasons. But uh, we've gotten reestablished this community. We're playing some games. We're starting a new game. Our first game on that forum 
It's very exciting. But I did spend a good weekend in 100% panic mode every moment. Uh, Played any games for a while. Uh, but so mostly I've just been playing my same old, same old. A little bit of, of online mafia, um, some Fortnite, some Overwatch. Sam and I played some duos last night in Fortnite Battle Royale. We had some very embarrassing deaths. Uh, we had a couple. We had a we had a really good kill with grenades where we flanked this dude. That was great. But uh, we did have some some embarrassing deaths. Um, we yelled at each other a lot. We have fun doing that, and uh, a little bit of Overwatch, but not as much as I've wanted. It's been a busy. It's a this this time of the semester yeah. is hard. So busy. <laughs> we yeah. always yell at each other when we play. Well, I mean, we yell at each other when we exist. So. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> but I did want to talk a little bit about that that moment because even though it's not like this is what I'm playing, it's this is what I'm experiencing <clears throat> in the gaming community, and uh, it was really shocking to see this place. And I haven't been a super active NeoGAF user for all of those eleven years. But when I was writing for Joystick years ago, I joined because so many developers were active on the forum. And it was a good place to talk to people. I've been in and out over the past, you know, decade plus. And to see it die in a day was yeah. something. When you're talking about a forum that's got uh, it's, it's, it's so much content, years of knowledge regular people have contributed and it's some of it's gone now forever because they didn't restore everything mm. it was really affecting mm. so so i'll take my time to talk about that instead fiona you had a, you had a tough couple weeks there yeah. yeah man you know what i need a break we're going to baltimore in a couple of weeks for a conference and i'm so excited yeah. for 10 hours in a car of angry feminists on their way to an angry feminist conference to talk about angry <laughs> stuff. it's gonna be the best thing ever it's gonna be real good yeah <laughs> real good all uh, right bianca what about you now i have also not been playing a whole lot but not for as dramatic of reasons uh i'm just working on my dissertation and fellowships and stuff so that's Boring, but um, I have been trying to play a few minutes here and there of uh, Inside. I played it a little bit while my parents were visiting, and my dad, who gets really squeamish at like the scariest or at the, the slightest whatever, is, is just like, Oh, what happened to that kid? Man, Janae, get over here, get over here and see this kid die. And I'm like, Well, dad, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> uh, so, but Alicia and I, after our um, thing tomorrow, our academic thing, what's that called? A conference? Yeah. Like a symposium. Symposium. Very fancy. Sure. Yes. Lots of syllables in that one. Um, we are going to grab Hidden Agenda, and we are finally going to sit down and play it together except i'll probably be standing because i get very yeah, excited you do that she yeah. stands to play it's so cute <laughs> it's probably because she's only about two and a half feet tall hey that is a gross exaggeration <laughs> or under exaggeration um <laughs> uh yeah we're gonna finally play it we're gonna get some tacos it's gonna be the taco adventure video game time of 2017 and that is our plan. It's going to be very rigorous academic work. Very. So rigorous. it might not be as exciting as Sam playing Hidden Agenda with her mama. <laughs> no. <laughs> which I'm hoping she will talk about in a minute. Yes, please. Oh. Sam, back to you. Talk <laughs> about it. Let me just put you 
right on the spot. Right on the spot. So, <laughs> That's the spot. Yeah. So I did play Hidden Agenda. Um, when the week it came out, I played Hidden Agenda. Mm -hmm. And so it's that new PlayStation Link technology. New. New. Scare oh, quotes. Scare. As in five years ago. Um, because it's basically what it is. It's a second screen experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really confusing because when you when they were talking about it, when you read about it, it sounded like um, it was more like the Telltale games where other people could play, like watch you play if you were streaming or whatever, and then vote like you can on the Telltale games, mm -hmm. like via the internet, but that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You have to be on the same Wi-Fi network um, in order to play. Um, so... I had bought the game because I was uh, initially intending to stream it. Um, and then I wanted to play the game, <laughs> but I couldn't stream it apparently. So my mother's visiting. So <laughs> I, I pulled her in and was like, hey, play this game with me. Now, mind you, my mother is <laughs> a little older <laughs> and, and just started playing video games of any sort in the last couple of years. But she would be on board with Trey's suspicion about face data. Oh yes, she would. Don't even play. <laughs> Don't even play. She would, she would swear all kinds of stuff was gonna happen to you because <laughs> <laughs> you did that. Please be safe. <laughs> um, so, but she only started playing games like a couple years ago because she started playing games on the DS, like Animal Crossing, and God help us, style savvy with my daughter. Um, so uh, they play they play like games like that together. And and here's an interesting tidbit: my daughter introduced her to Stardew Valley today. Oh, <laughs> Everybody but Trey. <laughs> ah. Wait, Bianca, you're not playing Stardew. I'm though, not are playing you? it either. Oh, no. you, okay. When I'm looking at Trey, I'm holding out. Trey, just just understand that my 77 year old mother is playing Stardew. <laughs> Is it on the Vita? I need new. Th I need things for my Vita to give it is life. Is anything on the damn Vita? <laughs> no, but if anything is on the Vita, it could be that. You know what? The Vita suffering starve. in misery is on the Vita. You don't starve. Saved my Vita from just losing it, basically. No, you need um, to get Don't Starve on the computer and play with me. No, I have it on the computer too. So oh, okay, see, good. No, what you need is a switch. Hmm. Okay. Go <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, speaking so, of the small child, speaking of sorry, so hidden agenda, um, <laughs> always play a Stardew Valley. Um, I also, um, with the launch, I picked up <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey, um, Assassin's Creed Origins, and Wolfenstein 2, but I've only played, um, Mario and Assassin's Creed. I have played way more Mario than I want to admit to in terms of hours uh, since last weekend. Um, Look, hey. if you can't make time to shoot Nazis, I got your back. <laughs> hey. um, I'm going to make some time to shoot Nazis. Um, and then I played uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, right? Mm. Um, which I, I absolutely I like a lot more than I thought I was going to like. I can't wait for the uh, the exploration mode to come out where you just get mm -hmm. to walk around and not have mm -hmm. to fight or um, that should be really interesting because it's, it's the game is amazing. It's beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. I can't wait to see it uh, with the 4k upgrade on the Xbox one X. Um, it'll be even prettier. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. 
What are we uh, reading? No, wait, we, we haven't gotten to Bianca yet. Oh my God, it's no, like just, hours I, in. Yeah, we I did. Did we? I talked. Okay. Shit. I'm so glad you remember everything <laughs> that I said. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia. Spoiler, for the next part, I've had a lot of bourbon because we had technical difficulty <laughs> and I started. It's called the pregame. Yeah, see, pre see, Trey knows. We have a connection. Okay, Trey knows, but Trey don't get ignorant when they have too much bourbon. <laughs> I would have you know I'm that just I'm saying. a highly educated individual. <laughs> yes. You know what? All fuck right. all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what are we reading? What are we reading? Um, Jen, we'll start with you again. What are you reading? Reading anything good lately? Oh boy, you know, I've been doing a new thing where I try to read when I go to sleep instead of playing The Walking Dead No Man's Land, which I've been playing for like a year on my iPad. And I'm so bored of it, but they added this new mode and I'm like, ah, oh, it's pulling me back in. So I'm trying to put down the iPad. I've been reading actually Joan Didion's The White Album uh, about oh, yeah. violence in the US in the 60s, kind of in California when the Manson murders were going on and all this stuff. Um, so I've been going out back and reading that kind of for fun. Um, but video games wise, I taught some work by Amanda Phillips this semester, um, whose work I didn't know prior. I uh, met her at the Queerness and Games conference out in LA this past spring. And she's got a really great article about headshots um, that I taught. So I like that a lot. And writes about ragdoll physics and kind of death in games. Um, so she's a good one to check out that I've been reading for game stuff. That sounds great. Cool. I'm very fascinated. It's one of those things like, you know, I have 417 research interests already, so I have to limit myself. <laughs> but that's one of the things that I think of like in the future, far away from now, when I have that tenure money and tenure time, which is none, <laughs> I will read about death in games and, and like that so i'm really happy to have that name and when you don't have a dish chair screaming at you about starting new stuff yes damn yeah, yeah. that's always good telling me to say no in sam's defense i have too many things happening <laughs> jen's other book is called dying in full detail so i just want to throw that out there that that yeah. book is also about death <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a theme there's a theme here actually there is a theme to all of my reading yeah it's all violence and death stuff yeah. Oh, I have that pulled up right now. Oh, now I really want it. It's a good book. It's really good. <laughs> well, I mean, you're biased. I, I know, but I didn't write it. I didn't saying, write it. It's really good. I, she's a great writer. It's a really good. It's a really good read. It's a hard read, um, but it's a really good read. <laughs> oh, thanks, Trey. I'm I'm really happy to see people focusing on on that aspect of games, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially maybe this year, Bianca and I just wrote this week about the uh, uh -oh. the footage in The Last of Us Get it. at Paris Games Week. Mm -hmm. and, somebody uh, get mad at y'all for a change. Well, what you footage? Know what? We, oh, <laughs> you didn't hear about it? Mm -mm. I've been okay. off. I've been off. Let me, let me, let tell me just tale, break it Alicia. down. Tell I will the tell tale. the tale. Um, but I played The Last of Us. So. Hang on. Well, we all did. But mm -hmm. all right. So I'm going to issue a blanket content warning for everything that's about to follow what I'm going to say. Okay. Because I'm uh -oh. not going to pull punches. At Paris Games Week, uh, Sony's show to pitch some of their big properties coming out. The two big yep. ones that were really troubling were Detroit, um, uh, Become Human, yeah. and yeah. The Last of Us Part Two. Wait. 
<coughs> Detroit, which I, and I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Quantic Dream, despite their problems. I love their stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can roll with this. They mm -hmm. opened mm -hmm. their footage with child murder. Domestic violence and child murder. And then they went through a bunch of different scenarios of what you as the android character could possibly do to maybe mitigate the child murder or change the child murder to parental murder or like escape the child or like fight or get your ass beat by the man. So, I mean, it was like really hard to watch. But at least it had some kind of context or idea of like this is within the story. This is narrative. This is how we're demonstrating the branching narratives. Not great. Like that's kind of their brand, child murder. Right. I mean, that it's was what Heavy Rain was about. Yeah, they roll yeah. like with this violin. Mm -hmm. So you could sort of get on board with it if you're familiar with their work. So a couple of other trailers happened, including the uh, Horizon Zero Dawn DLC with like 37 action rolls in the snow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then Jim Ryan from Sony comes in and he's like, "This is such a great time to be a gamer. This is like the greatest moment." in games and now we have this footage from a highly anticipated game to show you and they don't tell you what it is they don't give you any cues all right this is important because then the next thing you see after some beautiful landscape shots is somebody with their hands tied being dragged across the ground mm -hmm. this person is then taken past bodies that are hanging and eviscerated guts hanging out of their belly they're hanged Somebody else is violently abused with a hammer. People get shot in the face with arrows. There's all this like crazy, brutal shit that happens. You don't know who any of these people are. You don't know what the game is. You don't have any context. You don't have any kind of background. You have nothing except a bunch of fucking torture on your screen. Yep. It was awful. And then at the end, they're like, the, the cordyceps uh, affected people come running out of the, the forest. And they're like, the last of us part two. And you're still like, I don't know who these people are. I don't have anything to hang this on. I just watched somebody's arm get rearranged with a fucking hammer. And not just somebody, right. but all of the, the two bodies that were tortured and brutalized during that scene were women. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was sort of rendered to be this more masculine body um, in her shoulders and her arms and when she's the one who's hanged and they put a knife to her belly and what did they say alicia something about sin? sin yeah she's got sin inside of her she's got sin inside of her wow. so um obviously some sort Which of could discussion. be like a reference to maybe being pregnant could be a reference mm -hmm. to like being queer because she's being mm -hmm. presented as like a masculine body right. we don't know Right. We don't know how they're wielding these visuals or these characters, but it's right. fucked up. I, mm -hmm. I, it's been a week since I watched shit. I'm still angry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. So it's this decontextualized violence against women's bodies to sell video games. Where were these clips played at um, what the event? Paris Games? Where they do have a blanket warning up that's like rating pending. This footage may not be appropriate for children. I'm gonna tell you that footage ain't appropriate for a whole lot of motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what we were talking about. I just got mad. <laughs> what else is new? Um, <laughs> we're talking about what we're reading. Yes. Trey, what are you reading? You're on sabbatical. You should be reading all the things, playing all the games. <laughs> you know, I'm not. We got well. Both Jen and I got bought houses this uh, summer, and Yay. most of my time has been house related. 
Um, there's so many projects. There's so many things I don't know how to do and have to like look up. <laughs> and and then it'll take me like today. It took me like hours just raking leaves. <laughs> and every time I had a pile, a gust of wind would come and, like, blow them halfway down the street. And then I even had a blower because like the last time I was raking leaves, I did not have a blower. So I had to stop in the middle of this multi-hour project to go get a blower. And so now I had to go chase the leaves and blow them back <laughs> into the pile. So that's what I've been doing a lot of my, my days on sabbatical. I've been spent doing that. Um, but I have read a little bit. And I just finished a novel because for a while I was like, you know what? This is my unsabbatical sabbatical. I told myself that and that didn't actually work. But for for like the first two months, it kind of worked. And even when I would go meet with people to do work like Jen and uh, some of our other friends, I would actually bring a Lego kit with me and sit <laughs> at the table. Like I felt like I was in some remediate. I was just remedial like space as far as thinking was concerned. And there was something really good about building. And I still do a lot of Lego building. Um, and I've even, you know, gone into Lego friends set. I got a lot of questions and concerns <laughs> about Lego friends, yes. but, but I needed those teals and pinks and whites <laughs> for my supermarket. I've created this huge supermarket. So I need a lot of those. Um, so I was doing that for a while, but now I'm reading again. And what got me reading was just reading a random legal thriller. It was called um, The Emperor of Ocean Park. The Emperor of Ocean Park. Oh, I've read that. And yeah, it's been out for a long time. And uh, it's just a legal thriller about a black law professor yep. and his family. And they live in a fictional town in New England. And it was just, I mean, even though the legal thriller side of it was pretty wild and kind of unbelievable, the uh, his life as a professor, as a law professor at Yale, because also, well, the, the, the author is a law professor at Yale. And so his character, um, you know, has some symmetry. Uh, there with his life. And so just reading the thoughts of another professor, you know, especially a black professor who almost gets arrested on his campus was <laughs> was really good for me. And it was long. It was like a 600 page novel. Yeah. And I was like, this is no lightweight legal thriller here. Um, so I enjoyed that. And then I've been reading um, Self-Tracking uh, by Neff and Nafis. And I am a devout self-tracker and quantifier. So I figured I've, I've had this book for a while and wanted to read it. Um, just kind of what motivates people to you know, self-track or keep records. And they actually go take a historical approach and talk about you know, diaries as a part of this, the, the sort of tradition of writing diaries and how some people's diaries are, have actually always been like logs. Like, this is what I did today. This is what I didn't do today. And so I'm kind of interested in that, but I'm really interested in the potential sort of negative consequences um, and surveillance aspects of tracking. And so um, even though I do a lot of like self-quantifying and tracking, I try for the most part to, um, well, no, I, I, don't, I don't keep it offline, but I'm interested in what other people who what other entities are interested in our self in our self-tracking and self-quantifying and what that data um, tells other people and what that may be used for. So this book is good for that, um, exploring some of the 
potential in sort of exploiting that data uh, with the people, the wearables, for example, um, very popular, obviously, but what's happening to that content is, is still a kind of concern or what will happen, I guess, is still uh, a concern for a lot of people. Um, like our healthcare companies requiring us to wear Fitbits, for example. That's all pretty interesting to me. And then I've been trying to read the Miles Morales Spider-Man. Yeah. I've, I've read a lot of it before, but then the Marvel Universe did some crazy stuff that took me Surprise. 30 minutes. I know. It took me 30 minutes in two different comic book stores talking to um, the women who work there to try to understand what the hell has happened to the universe because <laughs> the first 30 minute conversation didn't i didn't understand it i had lots more questions than answers and then the second comic book store and the second 30 minute conversation i kind of figured out where i stopped because they discontinued i was collecting the trades they sort of stopped making those and then they made these big additions which are also kind of discontinued but now he's in he's the real he's the regular spider-man and another part of the marvel universe or the main part of the marvel universe and there's still peter parker so there's a whole bunch of shit going on that i don't understand it took me a while to figure it out and to get the books that i that i need so now i'm back to reading i'm actually really only interested in his backstory i'm not so much interested in him when the avengers and all the like plot heavy things that are happening i really could care less about that but I like the character and his family and his, the storylines with his friends. And of course, all of that was in stuff that I didn't have. So now that I have it, now that I understand where to read, I am back into the Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man, which is actually the regular Spider-Man, just in case you wanted to know. Um, no longer just the ultimate, because it was the ultimate, ultimate Spider-Man, but now he's just Spider-Man. That's Wait, all motherfucker was like double ultimate? No. He <laughs> was double ultimate. I have the ultimate Spider-Man ultimate collection. That's how it was double ultimate. I can't and by now, I've bought these stories in so many different formats that I feel like I single-handedly have supported this character succeeding <laughs> in terms of sales because I bought digital copies, I bought the old slim trades, and now I have the big giant ones. So... You know, if they get rid of him, um, like they did in Runaways, I don't know if anybody is a comic book fan, but I also recently read um, the first couple of books of Runaways because they had some great black, they had a great black geek character and his family, and I say had, and so that's kind of where oh. I stopped after a few books in some some. That's the TV show now, right? It's gonna be a TV show, yeah, which yeah. I didn't know. So. One of my good friends, who's my expert on all things Marvel comic books, especially, uh, said, oh, are you reading them because of the TV show? And I was like, no, I didn't even know that existed. So maybe the TV show will depart from where from the comics, um, as they often do. And maybe this character will live, because he was fantastic. Um, and his superpower was his intelligence, guys. I mean, he is a black, he was a black geek uh, superhero who did not have powers like the rest of the Runaways. His superpower was that he was smarter than everybody else. It's like, yeah. how can you not love that character? That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they kill him, so I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, well, shit. Thanks. Everybody kills him, too. So, um, anyhow, Hashtag that's what Black I'm reading. Black Lives Matter? <laughs> no. Not in comics. 
Yeah. I mean, his intelligence was a threat. He was smarter than everybody else that all went after him. Um, but he was also he was also turned into be the the mole. So I don't know. I said a lie. If you were interested in that series, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. But it's been out for a long time. I know it's been around for a long time. But... Yeah, I have no excuse. All right, uh, Bianca. What about you? What you reading, darling? I like Jen. Have been trying to get back into reading when I go to bed, but then I just fall asleep. <laughs> with the book open. That's know? half the point. <laughs> right, I know, exactly. But then, I, like, I've tried to start the, I bought the latest uh, Paper Girls trade, like, months ago, and I've tried to start it several times, and I go, oh, look at the pretty colors, and then I fall asleep. <laughs> and that's pretty much worse. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get Don't that worry, done. Don't worry, comic books. I'm gonna steal you all when I'm in Bianca's house tomorrow. Okay, just not the not paper girls, but you can take all my lumberjanes and all mm. that stuff. Please. Oh, lumberjanes is so good. It's I'll, so cute. I'll take care uh, of you. you. Yeah, you can you can read those. They're really great. So, and then I also recently got a book into called uh, "Feminist Activism and Digital Networks: Between Empowerment and Vulnerability." So, uh, by uh, Aristia Futopolo. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's, yeah, it looks interesting. It's about how digital technologies are uh, intersecting with feminist and queer activism and trying to complicate it instead of thinking about it in those two poles of empowerment versus vulnerability. So, and there's a whole chapter on reproductive rights and feminist knowledge production. Uh, so that chapter sounds especially interesting to me. So that's something I'm starting to dig into now mm -hmm. too, unless I keep falling asleep with my face in books. So cool. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. What about you, Alicia? Um, okay. So I'm working on two. Well, I'm actually working on like six projects right now. <coughs> Here's what I'm reading for. Um, I'm still reading everything that has ever been published ever, ever about avatars. Guess what my dissertation's about? Um, so just lots of books about like how we uh, represent ourselves and lots of articles. A lot of articles in like weird disciplines like psychology that mm. I'm not going to name them because yeah. I wouldn't say anything good. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to name and shame on the podcast after I've been drinking for two hours. Um <laughs> But I do, now that I finished the, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, I, I finished the uh, Player and Avatar by, what's David Owen? I think. Mm -hmm. David Owen. I actually really liked it. I didn't think that I would um, it, because it's from like a theater perspective on game studies. But it's got some really interesting stuff about performativity that I really like. I've been reading a lot of T.L. Taylor and Julia Mason and thinking about like game design mm -hmm. and how little we really know about who makes decisions when and where and why and how those elements become and how they get how they get created for us to then enact a personhood within games. Um, and then I've been working on a lot of weird first year composition stuff, so not as exciting, uh, <laughs> just sort of stuff that is. But that's me. That's a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's beginning of dissertation year, so one must read a lot. Yeah. Cool. Samantha. It's my turn. Um, I am reading several things. Um, gaming representation again, because I'm teaching it. And I read it before I decided to teach it, because, you know. I'm supposed to do that, right? Um, and I am also reading, um, oh, I started reading a, a YA novel and I can't remember the author and I'm gonna have to peek, uh, but Esperanza Rising, um, because I was trying to check out, you know, trying to check out a new uh, a new novel to, to share with my kid. Um, and I read like the first part of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is really interesting. It's got got a rich description. It's about a it's about a, a young girl, right, um, who uh, moves from uh, Mexico to the U.S. after her father's killed by bandits." And uh, so I started to share with her, and she was like, "I, I don't want to hear this anymore." And I'm like, "What's wrong?" It's like she was like, "Who wants to hear this story where somebody's parents die?" And I was like, "Oh." Sorry. <laughs> so I forget sometimes that she's nine. Um, so I'm still reading that one by myself. Because uh, <laughs> she, she has no interest in it anymore. Um, so the, those are basically the two things that I've been reading. I'm really bad at reading fiction for myself. Because um, I... I'm always so busy that when I have any time to read, I'm reading, usually reading stuff for work. But what I, what I do tend to read a lot of is like children's fiction or YA novels because I'm reading stuff to her or with her. Uh, so I, I guess I have the uh, fiction library of like a 10 year old right now. So, uh, I'm okay with that. That and lots of comics, but mm -hmm. yeah. And that's all I'm reading. So let's get to the important part. What are folks drinking? What have we already drank? <laughs> that's only for you. Um, what about uh, <laughs> what about Jen? Are you drinking anything good, interesting, fun? Well, I knew I was going to be asked this question, so I switched from my usual drink of cheap beer. <laughs> <laughs> if I were recording a podcast late in the evening and I made some uh, hot local apple cider and oh, put shit. just a little bit of Knob Creek bourbon in it. It was delicious. Oh, I will be right <laughs> Put your address in the Hangouts chat. <laughs> <laughs> but usually my big drink is uh, black tea with milk. Yeah. That's I can, I'm, you know what? I'm a big fan. Yeah, that's my everyday, a few cups a day. That, that gets me through the day. Trey, when you come to Indiana, can you just bring Jen with you? Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. We can use bring my bourbon, bring my tea. Yeah. Yes. I'm we can use a Smith Dollars. Apple cider with bourbon is the best. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, did you, um, Trey, did you say what you were drinking? No, I was drinking a port, but it is gone now. Um. Wait, you and your ports. You were drinking port last time. I know. That's all I drink. I mean, I love sweet stuff. My wife did a volunteer to make me a mixed drink, but I'm not really a drinker. So she was like, what do you want? And she was going to make the signature drink from our wedding. And I was like, nah, I'll just drink port. I'll just drink port. So big question, uh, what kind of port? Signature drink from your wedding? 
Yeah, which was great. It was called the uh, Grown and Sexy something. Oh, the Grown and Sexy Sour. That's what it was. <laughs> so it was like a sour, but it had cinnamon stick in it and some other stuff. Ooh. It was really good. So she was going to make that, and I vetoed it and just went for my everyday port when I do drink. Um, okay, so romance is dead. Um, that does in fact sound grown and sexy (laughs) yeah so uh but i drank the last of my port so i'm done now i'm just drinking water oh okay i'm glad you're following up responsibly with water yeah i gotta use the restroom so you know (laughs) gotta got you got about 20 25 minutes All right. Bianca, what you drinking, darling? Uh, I'm drinking... Oh, what am I drinking? Uh, I think it's a Sierra Nevada. It's in a glass, so I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm also drinking sake because we got sushi tonight, and so there's leftover sake, so I... Well, Shit. not anymore. I actually I came over on it. the wrong day. <laughs> Well, uh, well, you're fine. We'll get more stuff when you come over tomorrow <laughs> for the taco adventure. It'll, it's, it, we got tequila. Don't worry about it. Um, so yeah, uh, beer and sake. Well, no more sake. I finished it. It's a sad thing, but yeah. All right, Alicia, what about you? What do you think I'm drinking? Uh, bourbon and ginger, or yes, yes. yes. All the <laughs> I know you so well. A good old whiskey ginger. You know, it's a staple for me. It's a nice, soothing, mellow drink if I'm like having some upset stomach because I'm stressed about 400 projects. Uh, you know, it's double duty. <laughs> whiskey ginger is all the things. Mm-hmm. It's heaven in a glass. I recommend mm-hmm. it for all. It's a party and medicinal. Mm-hmm. That's right. There you go. I, then I'll go because I'm the last. I'm drinking. Um, Ace pineapple ciders. <gasps> I know. That's and what coffee. you need when we come to your house. We had a meeting scheduled this week, and I was supposed to come over, but she was like, "No, no, we'll do it via Skype." This is <laughs> you are such a liar. <laughs> well, that's because you come over and drink all my beer. And pineapple I, I was, cider sounds. I was really hiding good. it from you. Pineapple cider is the business. It is. Wow, it sounds good. It's not the good one, which is the Cider Boys. Well, this one's good. It's not the best one, which is the Cider Boys. But I like Ace, too, so I'm good with that. When I make it back to Indiana, guys, I need this pineapple cider. I don't even need the good one. I'll take just the regular (laughs) pineapple cider. (laughs) We will give you anything you want within reason. (laughs) We are so excited. Yes. Well, there are good apple ciders, too, but they come out of Michigan. But we get them here. There's like one, there's like one we package. We have like a pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Really so, so we can hook you up with the, with the, cause you like the sweet stuff with the sweeter. I like ciders beer. too. Yep. Ciders. Like all the ciders. Yep. We'll get you, we'll get you all kinds of ciders. We get you taken care of. All right. Now that we've spent God knows how long <laughs> working through the first part. Now we get to the fun part, right? Okay, the next fun part. <laughs> um, where we talk to you two specifically about, I'm sorry, I can start covering my mouth. Um, the Look. the gaming representation collection um, and anything else that comes up after that. Um, <laughs> but we will try to be succinct. We're, we're not good at that around here. 
Um, <laughs> let me reframe that. We're going to let y'all talk. Mm -hmm. Samantha. I have been good tonight. <laughs> I want to I put that out there. All right. Um, so, Alicia, you, you have kind of first dibs on the topics questions um, in the show notes. You want to start, darling? Sure, because I'm starting kind of broad. I, mm -hmm. I'm just curious, and I know you cover a little bit of, of this in the beginnings of the book, but just for our listeners who don't have the book in front of them, mm -hmm. uh, tell us about how you came to this project how and how you selected the different pieces right? And kind of what gaps you were hoping to fill with this book in particular. I think it does a lot of work, um, but I'm, I'm just really curious about your thought process. Well, maybe I'll talk a little bit about how it started and Trey can pick up with how we selected what we selected. Um, yeah. But it started from a conference where Trey and I started our long tradition of doing gaming panels together at Society for Cinema and Media Studies, SCMS. Um, we were doing a panel that wasn't really about uh, representation and identity, but it kind of became clear that's what we were both most interested in. Um, and yeah, the idea started floating around of doing a book. Um, now, I don't know about you all, but I was always told never do an edited collection <laughs> because <laughs> it's a lot of work and it doesn't count for as much on your CV uh, as some other things you might spend your time on. So I was initially skeptical, but, um, you know, my monograph was well enough on its way, and I thought, you know, I really want to get more into game studies. I need to meet the folks who are working in this area. And doing the collection was amazing for that. We're so much better connected now with the people doing the kind of work we're interested in than we were when we started. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was really this moment when it felt like games journalism, kind of public discourse about games was really focused on identity because Gamergate had kind of just like been named and sprung up. Um, and there was a lot going on uh, with identity and games in public discourse. And we looked at game studies and said, man, where is this stuff in our academic work? Um, and there were folks who had been writing that for a long time and folks who still were, but we weren't seeing it as a kind of main current of the discipline at that moment. Um, and there is a lot of trends going on toward platform studies, critical code studies, these like mm -hmm. hardcore, in quotation marks, aspects of the discipline. Um, so we were kind of looking to, to pick up that. And it, it, coming from film studies, for me, it was, it felt like such a retro project. I was like, is our book really called like Race, Gender, and Sexuality in? Because it felt like it should have been published in the 90s, right? <laughs> yeah. But we kind of were looking around and, you know, reading up in the history of game studies and just um, kind of we didn't see that moment when there was a critical mass of scholarship about these issues. Um, and I think our book became part of that moment along with a lot of other great books that were released around the same time. Uh, Adrian Shaw's Gaming at the Edge, right. uh, Adrian and Bonnie Ruberg's Queer Game Studies Collection, um, mm -hmm. Kishana Gray's work. Like there was a lot of cool stuff coming out around that time with us. I, uh, I have a follow-up and it's kind of a, it's not a question that has an answer. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. So I'll figure I'll warn you. Um, and we're going to come back around to it, but I kind of want to ask it now to get us thinking about it because it's been weighing on my mind a lot this past week. How do we get people to listen? 
because this, I, I think the work that you've done, I want to say this, I think the work that you've done is amazing. Mm -hmm. Some of the, the pieces in this collection are just really crisp and sharp mm -hmm. and so, like, they just cut to the bone of what we need to do as game scholars, what the gaming community needs to do, what the industry needs to do, how we need to reframe issues. Mm -hmm. But so often when we bring these to these issues and these ideas and this criticism to the wider games community, we're just shut down, right? How do we get yeah. people to listen? I mean, I sort of struggle with that because I think, um, I mean, we have this very obviously divided culture, larger culture. And so there are times when I'm like, look, this show that you guys have been hosting for, how is this like over 200 episodes now? Um, or approaching to a, a long time. 162. 162. Yeah. A long time. And there's other shows, you know, Spawn on Me, there are blogs you guys have, you know, you write for public audiences. Mm -hmm. And there's so many formats that these conversations exist in. And mm -hmm. um, I think we, you know, we try to shout that out and say that in the book, especially that. You know, there's a way that we're coming from certain disciplines. You know, I'm coming from an English department, but I've always been sort of weird to place. Uh, so kind of media studies. And our my main conference is cinema and media studies, you know, which is where um, Jen and I, you know, were, were presenting and have been presenting. And in that space, game studies was a very particular thing. So... You know, we were we were inspired to want to do this book because we were coming from that space of our major conference, like our MLA, you know, um, mm -hmm. or our, our ASA, American Studies, whatever. That Cinema and Media Studies is our big conference, and media studies had you know been added to that because it used to just be cinema studies and the media studies was added and games is now a pretty big part of media studies where there are actually a good number of gaming panels, but for a while. It was the hardcore, you know, the 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 code and the platforms, and you know, and I remember honestly, and I I have no problem, you know, calling out my sort of major organization in, in this way, but I remember going to the game studies special interest group, and it was just like a bunch of dudes, mm -hmm. and it was like, and me, and like for the for, for the first couple of meetings that mm -hmm. I attended, you know, maybe five years ago it's been a blur i've gone to a lot of them i don't know if it was as recently as like three or four years ago but for a while it was just like me and a bunch of dudes and they were just geeked out on stuff and they were not talking about these issues and then very quickly that started to change you know mm -hmm. where there are people who are in who are some of our contributors in this book you know attend that conference and there were panels that were like whoa i actually want to go to that gaming panel <laughs> you know and so that did start to change but we were talking about so part of our inspiration was because of that audience now they're obviously game studies is very interdisciplinary and there are people writing and talking about these things in other spaces but that's kind of where we were coming from and we wanted to change that and so i think that 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 was a big part of of us wanting to do the book mm -hmm. so to answer your question of you know how do we get people to listen part of me is inspired because i feel like when I look around and I see all the great work being done, you know, on YouTube, on Twitch, on these in these other formats, especially like these non, I mean, in the book publishing and, and, and traditional academic world, these conversations are changing. For sure, mm -hmm. they're changing. And then in the other spaces, they're, I think, some of these same ideas 
and the inspiration behind this book you can see elsewhere in um you know sort of public writing and public writing formats or in other formats that are non you know traditional books so People are listening, I think, but not just listening to us, but these conversations have, you know, formed and have been been formed for quite a while in these other spaces, but are the people who we want, you know, the sort of gamer gators or the alt-right fans or all the crazy white supremacists in gaming, the PewDiePie, whatever, are those people ever going to be receptive to these conversations. And I think, you know, I, I know, I don't think so ever, but I think that what mm. I see is growth in an intellectual scene, uh, a bigger intellectual scene than we may have thought that mm -hmm. is vibrant and exists, yeah. but can the people who are, um, who we want to hear these conversations, hear these conversations, you know, no, but the reason I would say that is because of my longstanding arguments about recognition. You can't make people recognize what they don't want to recognize. Yeah. And in our culture that sort of, you know, cultivates that lack of recognition, um, and perpetuates that intentionally. I mean, I think you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna see the same things happening. You're gonna see people don't want to hear these arguments, don't want to talk about representation, and I don't really know how you change that mindset. But I think what's encouraging is that you know these conversations, developers, you know, all of the sort of major um, conventions and um, sort of public displays of of public conversations about developing games now have conversations about diversity, you know, now have, and, and maybe it's a sort of slow growth and we have to sort of wait and see and things are not catching up um, fast enough. And the games that are being developed are still, you know, problematic, but these conversations are being had in other spaces mm -hmm. and that's encouraging to me. But, you know, will you reach everyone? Will everyone listen and get this message? Uh, no, I don't think so. But at the same time, like I said, I think there's spread of these ideas. Um, there's there's evidence that these ideas and conversations have spread in multiple formats and in multiple venues. So I actually have a different answer to this question, which is really, I mean, it's an answer that's new for me that I wouldn't have said a few months ago. And it's based on teaching this gaming class at Smith and meeting the students who ended up taking it and who are working on games in some way at Smith. And I think my answer now is I'm much less focused about, um, you know, reaching the kind of folks Trey was just talking about who are really, I think, unreachable. How many chances have these people had at this point <laughs> to see the humanity of others and to, like, care that, you know, about representation in games and this kind of stuff? Um, now I feel like what I'm doing is teaching the people who are going to displace them. Yep. <laughs> You know, it's for me, it's all about yeah. training up the folks who are going to take these jobs in the future and are really going to um, be producing the content of the industry. Um, and I think it's been a really powerful experience for my students to have a class on video game studies at Smith that they can take. Remember, this is uh, a women's college, a college for women and gender minorities. Um, so it really means something um, in yes. this space to have game studies, which we haven't had before. Um, and I can, you know, they talk to me about it. They're like, you know, in this class and they're all coming together and they're kind of seeing new possibilities for themselves in the industry. 
um, you know, or even just for themselves as gamers. And I think when you get the folks who have been marginalized in this country, in this culture together, um, and you kind of give them the tools to uh, talk about that marginalization and, and, you know, do something about it, that's where the optimism for me is. It's not we're going to reach the people who haven't been reached. It's we're going to displace them. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yep. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's funny because that's exactly where I am, Jen, in terms mm -hmm. of like me working with the students that I work with, because most of the students that I work with, I mean, it used to be a 50-50 split, but now more, uh, now more so is a, a lot of students I get in my classes are CGT majors. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then between that and, and teaching over in CGT from time to time, it, it's like I get to interact with these students more. Um, and I feel like I have more impact because the stuff that we're talking about in the classes that I teach, they're not talking about over in CGT. And that's with computer, what's, what's CGT? Computer graphics technology. Computer, computer graphic technology, yeah. So they're not talking about it over there in the department proper, but yeah. I, I think that part of the reason that they're not is that they don't feel qualified to do so. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because they don't have get basically that humanities-based training mm -hmm. um, or if they just feel like, well, they're, well most of them are a bunch of middle-aged white dudes, right? Or if they don't feel, they don't feel comfortable in that aspect. But what they have done is like taken some of my games courses over in the English department and made them a required part of their major. Mm -hmm. So they, they awesome. recognize, right, mm -hmm. that, that this is necessary. Right. And because and that was a good thing, because I mean, yeah, I got I always got tons of students from over there. But because they see <clears throat> that their program values these this humanities based approach in some way, shape or form, I think it has changed the way that they think about it and the way that they come to it. Yeah. Right. And if we can reach them, yeah, because like you said, this is these are the folks that are going to displace some of these assholes that are out there now that are not reachable. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's interesting because like I am teaching um, a narratives and games class this semester. So, yeah, I got a bunch of CGT kids. I got three grad students from CGT, but I've also got two kids who are in like totally unrelated majors. <clears throat> um and not interested in making games, but are Twitch streamers. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, right? But yeah, they're Twitch streamers and they were, they both came to me like, they were like, uh, so TwitchCon, we're gonna be like absent. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm down for that. I understand, I understand the work you're doing, right? But they wanted a new way to see games so that when they're streaming, they can talk about games in a new way. Right. And that was, this has been the first semester that's ever happened. And I was like, wow, Twitch streamers, right? Um, and, and thinking about it, you know, just in terms of, you know, in terms of what they can say and ways that they can think about games when they stream. And that is going to change the way other folks, I mean, and these are, you know, cishead white boys, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so having them kind of, out there and talking about games in a new way can probably reach an audience that somebody like me may not be able to reach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. I've been so. thinking about that a lot too for the English class that I'm teaching and I'm teaching for a 
culture, creativity, and technology learning community at Purdue. And the kind of cool thing about that class is like half of my students are computer graphics technology students, and the other half are College of Liberal Arts students. Um, and it's also evenly split between men and women in my class. So we have really important conversations for the CGT students to be hearing and engaging in with the critical thinkers of the College of Liberal Arts. And so we talk a lot about representation in games and in pop culture, and we put games in conversation with comic books and film and literature. And so, and there was one point where one of my CGT students, when we were talking about her story and the sort of rhetorical decision-making behind that game design and the fact that the main character is a woman. And he said that he thought the main character was a woman in this sort of murder mystery game because women are just more deceptive than men. Mm. And I didn't, I mean, I was sort of doing these awkward lunges in the front of the classroom, uh, but I didn't even have to say anything because all the women in my class were like, hey, hey, let's talk about this right now. Let's talk about the problem with that right there. And so I was like, yes, this is why we get these different, these this sort of varied group of people together here so that we can start having a conversation about these issues and maybe hopefully, hopefully, I don't know, maybe that's idealistic of me, but hopefully getting some of the design people to think about what they're going to build and produce and make in the field of games. And I'm really excited because I get to teach this same group of students a literature and technology class in the spring. So what's great about that with this learning community is that because they have to take classes in the fall and the spring together, these these conversations become extended and we can deepen them. And we can explore this more thoroughly together. So uh, that, I don't know, I guess that's me also responding to your question, Alicia. Sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what we're all doing, right? We're all trying to reach people in different ways because mm -hmm. otherwise, why would we do this work? It's right. not like, like tons of people appreciate what we do, right? For that sweet, sweet tenure money. <laughs> well, I'm not there yet. You know, man, you stop dangling that tenure money in front of my face. It goes far in virtual currency, that's for sure. Rude. Rude. But, you know, one thing that I'm really encouraged by is that although the greater sort of public conversations about the humanities has been, you know, on a downturn and for, for quite some time, and um, even structurally at a lot of universities, the humanities have been de-emphasized through the gen ed curriculums and yeah. all kinds of other things. And then even still on top of that, you know, the humanities is chronically unfunded or underfunded right. yeah. uh, by granting, uh, by grant giving, foundations and, and, and agencies. Um, but what is interesting to me and, and this sort of hearing, you know, both, you know, Sam and Bianca talk about this with your classes and the students that you're getting is that on the actual campuses, the STEM fields tend to reach toward us and because mm -hmm. they understand that their students are missing something. Yeah. And so ironically, even though the sort of greater scene is going in one direction, sort of de-emphasizing, well, what do we need those soft skills for? Everybody should code, 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 code. Mm -hmm. The actual disciplines and departments, and I know that, you know, this is true in a lot of cases where, um, 
you have like a cross sort of disciplinary um, degree or program that is both STEM and, you know, the arts or humanities. Um, and so the, the campuses themselves or the, the people teaching on that other side of the campus are saying our students need that and, mm -hmm. and, and, and more than one way. And so that's mm -hmm. pretty hopeful and interesting to me. And I think it's something we have to do a better job of, of publicizing and talking about yeah. that, you know, that that's actually what they, what a lot of these deans of these big uh, computer science programs and schools are saying. You know that because I get the same thing. I, I my classes are first for English majors because that's where I teach. But I mm -hmm. always oversubscribe them with whoever else wants to be in. If you right. come to me and you're from another department, you don't have to. I don't need the stop. I don't need the sob story. Or whatever you're in, you know, because mm -hmm. I want those students taking mm -hmm. that one class, that one because they don't really have to take literature classes anymore. So if you're going to take something in the department, it happens to be one of my game studies classes, mm -hmm. and we're reading Foucault. And we're reading Freud in my classes, you know, my game studies classes. And this is your only <laughs> exposure to some of this. And Baudrillard, you know, he hates everything. Everything's broken. We're in the matrix. <laughs> We're in the matrix. But that, you know, he's got some great quotes about the matrix. But anyway, um, if that's the only time they get exposed to thinking in this way, yeah. and it's in my class, in a game studies class, because they just wanted to take a game studies class, then, you know, I'm, I'm for it. I, I think that's absolutely what we should do. But I just don't think we make this known enough, you know, that, that there are ways to kind of publicize this, that like, not only do we want those students, but their own instructors, you know, deans, administrators want them to be in our classes too. Mm -hmm. Even though they didn't design the curriculums that way. But now they're like, oh, oh, yes, you know, let's, <laughs> let's, you should be able to deal with people a little better than you do or have these conversations in ways that you can't, you know, just taking our classes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Alicia, do you have other questions? No, I'm going to listen for a bit. Okay. <laughs> Bianca? I think we've we've kind of been having this conversation already, but mm -hmm. because we've been talking about the classroom a lot in relation to your book, um, I guess my question is like, how do you hope people will use it? Uh, are you seeing this as being something used in academic spaces? Are you hoping it transcends those spaces, or not transcends necessarily, but bleeds out into other spaces as well? Like, what do you want people to do with this book? If that makes sense. I had a, so this games class I'm teaching uh, was over full and had a long wait list. And before the semester started, one of my students in the class, well, spoiler alert, now she's one of my students in the class, but someone who was on the wait list emailed me and said, oh, I just went to a gaming conference in New York, and I've been reading your book, and I brought it, and I made all the male developers I met, like, look at the book, and I tried to get them to read it, and it didn't work. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> but, you know, like, I brought this book to the con, and I was like, oh, well, you're in the class. You're definitely in the class. <laughs> trying to show it to male developers, like, that was shocking to me. Um, you know, and, and she's a, an exceptional student, but um, just the idea that this topic might be exciting to people, not just who are in academia, but to players, um, potentially to developers. And it's not going to be most players or most developers mm -hmm. who are up for an academic book at all. 
But I think if we can travel a little bit outside of our usual, you know, kind of higher ed circle, um, that would be really meaningful to me. Yeah, so there's something about that, right? I mean, and and I'm not I'm not gonna get into this yet until it's my turn. <laughs> but, but there's something about this, right? Is that having your work exist in a space that can bridge what are usually seen as distinct and disparate communities, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, oh, the academia academia is up here. Right, the games community is way down here, right? And then there's all this space in between. Um, and you know, that that's bullshit for uh, any number of any number of different reasons, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, and that's always a struggle. I, I, at least I can speaking for my you know self, even you know, even though I've been doing this for a long time, right, is getting folks in academic circles to understand the value of yeah. my work that looks at games and games communities. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But being able to see, and then so you have, you know, academia over here. I'm not, I'm putting them parallel over here. And then like the games community over here and then industry somewhere else, right? So you have all these, and I'm, I'm talking about games community. I'm talking about players, right? I'm talking about players, content creators, these folks, right? And then we have like industry folks, but to to see your work kind of navigating all of these spaces simultaneously is kind of a goal for me anyway. Um, and <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to bring it, but Alicia knows what I'm talking about. Like there was a recently something where I, it was weird and it caused a lot of, caused a lot of havoc more than anything else, but for somebody to throw out, like an article from our site when somebody says some, some shit that was out of the way on social media, be like, Hey, you need to read this. Right. Um, and to have, you know, and it's like, this is someone else who is considered not academic, but a part of a community who is talking to an industry person. Mm. Right. Um, so to be able to navigate those spaces, I think is a big, is a big thing. And it's a, it, it's a goal. And we're going to talk about, I want, cause I thought Jen, you and I kind of went back for her on this email for a second, mm -hmm. but to talk about that, um, is going to be an interesting thing, but I don't want to cut Bianca off. No, 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 that, they, that, that's good. Yeah, sorry, let me just <laughs> stammer for like 10 minutes over here. <laughs> uh, well, yes, uh, sorry, was someone talking? No. Oh, no, I was just gonna follow up, uh, Sam, and say, you know, in terms of bridging that gap, for me, it's not that, I don't have a fantasy where like someone's in crunch time on their game and they're gonna like head down to the college bookstore and <laughs> <laughs> think and about it while stuff. they're coding. It doesn't have to happen that way. But I think for me, even just knowing that the book is being taught um, to students who want to go into the industry, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like they have to read the book while they're developers. I think, um, you know, if students encounter it and then become developers, hopefully some of those ideas kind of stick with them yeah. and influences the games that they make. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly, right? So just the the idea is is the more is the most important thing, right? Because it's always for me it's always been that that thing in my head that if I can reach one student in some in some way that is significant for them as and when I say significant significant for them, I don't mean like earth-changing epiphany moment, but just a moment where even if they don't remember where it came from, um when they're 
they're working on a project later, they go, oh, well, maybe if we do it this way instead, or we look at this from through this lens instead, uh, we can come up with something different, right? Something that is not the same kind of oppressive or stereotypical or uh, trope-based thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's that moment. That's that moment that kind of gets me through, <laughs> kind of gets me through when, when we are dealing with, you know, whatever struggles we're dealing with, whether it's, you know, blowback from the community or blowback from academia or blowback from wherever it's coming from. Um, I also think of it as, you know, not just um, the students who I want to make games, because I always talk about that too in my classes. I got, you know, I've gotten VR developers and I really want those students to learn some of these, to, to learn from these conversations because they're playing around with powerful tools. I mean, they're just kind of distorting and deceiving and tricking the mind. They have the ability to be able to do that. And it's like, I want you to have gone through a certain type of ethical, you know, philosophical, cultural um, learning process if you're going to be doing this type of work. So, Mm -hmm. and I definitely think about the students that might make games, but I also, more than that, because the bigger group of students that um, I teach, you know, that are that are in our classes are not going to make games, but they're going to play games. You know, they're going to continue to play games outside of college, online games, casual games, you know, mainstream games, all kinds of games. And they're going to be having conversations about those games online and with their friends. And I want them to bring these tools to those conversations. You know, so I think that I think about the people that might make games, but I think even more about the students that are just going to be gaming with their younger brother, you know, or sister, and they're going to be playing a game and they're going to say, hey, you know, did you realize we just killed all the black people in this room? You know, like, I want that. That that would yeah. be a very sort of pleasurable, um, rewarding moment for me to, to have a student say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did that sort of uh, hope or desire or understanding kind of inform your process behind like what you all decided to include and how you decided to organize the book? Like, did that inform your process in, in making this thing? Um, well, I think we were both pleasantly surprised that when we issued the call for this book <laughs> several years ago, I don't even know if it was two, it, it was definitely more than two years ago. Maybe it was three years ago. I don't remember the exact, we say in the introduction, I think the, the year when we were on that panel together, when you shared the panel. Was it four <laughs> years ago? It takes so long. It takes so long, you know, um, and I will say as an aside that I'm a big fan of edited collections. So Jen went mm-hmm. into the project skeptical, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and at the same time, I was doing another, I was doing the Tyler Perry edited collection and then working on my book. So um, the reason I'm a fan of edited collections and I try to ignore everything, you know, my deans, chairs, senior faculty told me about doing edited works. I ignored all of that because I like working with other people. I mean, yeah. academic writing is isolating yeah. enough. I'm an extrovert and writing my monograph. I mean, the only way I got through it was doing other projects that were collaborative. <laughs> and so yeah. 
to me, um, the network that you form with the people that you're working with in the uh, in editing the book is just so valuable. And when you co-edit, you know, you have each other to bounce things off of. If someone's, you know, having a hard time, you have somebody else that can answer emails because Jen, we know you answered all the emails all the time. <laughs> I did not. I mean, you can uh, you can be a part of a team, and so um, you know that e even though there are downsides to that because the you know you amplify your your potential for challenges and problems. The more people you add to a project, mm -hmm. um, for me it was really rewarding and it was really important to have that social side to mm -hmm. this this work. Uh, so I think we were very surprised and pleased uh, when we issued the call that we got a lot of submissions. I mean, mm -hmm. I think we both being track self trackers and quantifiers had like a spreadsheet of, you know, all the submissions and the topics and we, um, you know, it put our notes in there. And so we, you know, d deliberated and sort of debated, you know, the merits of different pieces and how they could fit together and really just saw like what, what we had before us, you know, mm -hmm. that that actually shaped the the categories and the the you know the the sections in the book, um, just sort of grouping things together and seeing how they would play against mm -hmm. each other, um, and so yeah, that part pro that process of sort of vetting and reading through the abstracts and then the full chapters, um, you know, took a while, but it was very generative. And I think we were definitely looking for good writers. That was a key thing for us, partly around these issues we're talking about. Like, we didn't want this to be a dense, unreadable, unpleasant volume. Um, so we were looking for people who had a good prose voice, as well as trying to cover a pretty broad array of um, different kinds of games, different kinds of identity. Um, yeah, so we were kind of looking for scope and also for, you know, good writers, for sure. Yeah. And we still wanted people to bring their intellectual heft that they carry. You know, we didn't we didn't want people to dilute that um, because we have such a nice spread of different disciplines mm -hmm. and people represented. We, if you know you were like a film studies person and like film history, you know, is is something that you bring to studying games. We wanted people to be able to foreground that, foreground their disciplinary strengths, even though we wanted it to be accessible and to be able to kind of, you know, move across those different boundaries. We still wanted you to sort of stay true to those, those fields that shaped uh, your perspectives. I think that's one of the cool things about game studies at this moment that might not be true in the future. You know, if we get to a future where all the people doing game studies came out of game studies PhDs, um, you know, we're not going to have what we see in this collection, which is where people are coming from really, really different disciplinary backgrounds and kind of bringing different approaches and different bodies of literature and methodologies uh, with them. Yeah, I think that's that's what's really cool. You're absolutely right. What's really cool, what's really cool about this moment, right? Because we've got folks that are coming out of Red Comp doing game studies. We've got folks that are coming out of VPA or visual and performing arts and doing game studies. Folks who are coming out of, in some places like um, CGT, computer graphic technology or computer science where they're starting to focus a little bit on game studies. So they're coming to game studies to talk about games, but they do have that 
that different background. They all have those different backgrounds uh, uh, and different abilities to talk about those things, right? Because some people can talk about it from, you know, the, the, the standpoint of, of programming and, you know, mechanics or people who know like ins and outs of how to make VR work, right? Um, and then you got folks who can do the, the more literary analysis um, or folks who can talk about it from, from the standpoint of scripting. All of this, this richness, that I really hope we don't lose mm-hmm. um, in some ways, right? Because it needs to be interdisciplinary mm-hmm. um, to keep it interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bianca, did you have more questions? No. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm good. We're, we're over here texting about how much we just like listening to you two right now. Yeah. <laughs> Trey's already got a fan club going. We had um, one of the nice things about the collection and the kind of community of it, we just had a big symposium at Smith celebrating the book. So we brought um, Lisa Nakamura, Bonnie Ruberg, Soraya Murray, um, Trey, and I were all there uh, doing kind of a one day thing. And um, my students came and they were so, they were just like, fanning out on some of these speakers, especially Trey. Uh, you know, we had uh, we had one student like do a really cool little sketch of Trey and her Dapper <laughs> style during the symposium. <laughs> so, and they told me after they were like, "Oh my gosh, you know, the speakers were so cool. We're so into you know like their work and yeah." So, good yeah, fans for you. Students were great, and the student who drew my my picture and gave me that awesome uh, you know picture that she drew, you know. I was like, they wanted me. They want me to um, look at their game, review their game when it comes out, mm-hmm. or just give them feedback. I was like, absolutely. You draw someone's picture at a symposium. I'm there. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll play your game. I'll give you feedback. I'll come at a sabbatical to come to the, the festival. That's the only time that's ever happened where I've given an academic paper and you know someone drew a picture of me. That was awesome. Oh. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll I'll throw my question out there, which is a question, but not a question. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier um, in terms of thinking about how to make our work do work is kind of the, the, the way that I, that I, I think about it because yes, academic work has its value. Um, it does. Um, and I say, when I say academic, I mean, traditional academic work has its value, but I am really into thinking about how to make our academic work do work in communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, cause I see my work as being at its core activist work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's important because I couldn't do academia. Couldn't be a thing for me if it, if it weren't. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering, I always like to talk to people about, you know, what can we do, right, to make our work do work? What can we do to take our work outside of what is seen as being traditional academia and mm-hmm. into other communities or even within academic communities in new ways? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of goes back to like not only the work that we do, um, well, I'm about to answer my own question and I'm going to stop because <laughs> I do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel compelled along the same lines 
Um, and I don't, and I would say that, you know, I'm in an English department and that's not something that was communicated to me at any moment in any, any aspect of my education, you know, like undergrad, grad school, um, post grad school, even, you know, on the tenure track, um, in this particular field, this side of the campus, being in an English department, um, having an activist, you know, agenda, uh, is just definitely just not in the foreground and whether, however you define activism for yourself. And, you know, for me, it tends to be wanting to work in communities, wanting to have, um, outreach programs that, that align with the things that I do in my research that I talk about in my research. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of the, you know, you can do this with anything. Yes. You know, Chaucer scholars, Shakespeare scholars, and it doesn't matter, you know, but this, we're ha we happen to be talking about games and I think there are rich opportunities for doing that kind of work. If you are so inclined and you want to do that kind of work and you value that kind of work, if you study games and you talk about games and you find value in them. Now just pick an arena, you know, pick an age group, pick a scene, um, pick an environment that you can work in and create in. And I think, you know, there are opportunities there. So um, I have some things under, under, under wraps myself, but just things I'm exploring. And part of it is just because there's so little, you know, you, you're so, you have to prioritize it. You know, you have the, your, your life on campus, you know, the teaching service and research, and you have that, and that's sort of encoded in us. And, you know, for better or for worse, well, for worse, mostly, um, you know, these institutions don't value the things that are kind of outside that matrix. And if you are, you know, pursu pursuing, um, you know, tenure, it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle just yeah. to, you know, to get you the podcast, the work that you're doing to get that material, that kind of content, you know, to count. Um, DH, Digital Humanities, is mm -hmm. definitely, um, at least on our campus, starting to get a lot of traction and people are talking about tenure and review committees and trying to come up with criteria for evaluating this work that is going to be in these other formats, you know, that's not the monograph, for example, or, or journal articles. So I think DH, though I have some, you know, reservations and critiques about DH, depending on who's DH you're talking about, I think one of the good things there is that it's sort of forcing these conversations. Um, but the conversation about activism, you know, I don't know that maybe in some some corridors is thought of as service. And I mean, what I was told is like, depending on where you are, you know, that's usually not one of the, the top two things that you're mm -hmm. focused on. So right. if activism and service are kind of closely aligned for you, again, sort of figuring out how that fits into your professional matrix, mm -hmm. um, your professional profile your your values is uh is hard but certainly something that i think we have to have to sort of force ourselves to 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 contend with because certainly the universities are not gonna do it for us you know they're not gonna say hey prioritize this so if you're if you are inclined to do these things you have to figure out how to make it work for you and i and i've always been an advocate of that even though you know at the end of the day, where's my big service project? Like it's, it's, I got like five or six drafts of things and declined grants, you know, denied, rejected grants 
that uh, are, are are out there in the pipeline. Mm. Um, but the inspiration is there to, to to do this work. And I think what's exciting is that games, working in games, gives you lots of opportunities to to do something along these lines. Mm. I think it does. It was interesting, and, and I'm just gonna throw this out there, and then Jen, um, let you jump in. But um, like you said, it's not prioritized, right? It's not top one or two things. Hell, I remember when I started on the tenure track, I was explicitly warned against doing that kind of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I was like, you hired the wrong person. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's ideal. Don't discount the fact that it's ideologically, it's threatening, you know, mm-hmm. to the structures mm-hmm. that we're working in too. Um, it's not just like, how do you count that time? Or is that frivolous? Or that's do good work? But how does it pay off in terms of things that the university values? It's actually threatening disruptive work. It can be right mm-hmm. to see yourself as an activist going into communities that may have a contentious relationship with the university, for example. Yeah. And this is the kind of work that you're doing. And you're teaching people like, hey, here's how you analyze and think about games. You know, that that is actually something that can be um, perceived as a threat. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a real tough problem. And I'm not, I haven't been great at solving it myself. I think a lot of the stuff I think about as activist in my own professional life tends to be within my campus, right? Mm -hmm. So we're planning an event, and I'm, I'm pretty good at like seeing where stuff needs to happen in my own microcosmic environment. Uh, you know, we're planning an event next semester. We're gonna do a, um, our program's gonna do a YouTube caption-a-thon to kind of raise awareness about accessibility and captions on YouTube. And we're gonna like go in and, um, you know, actually caption some videos ourselves, send some messages around to people who haven't captioned stuff or have turned off the ability for people to add captions on their videos. So it's like that kind of small scale, like, oh, here's a thing that's of interest to this student body we could do together, right? That's media related, that's outreach. Um, But it's really hard to get your head, at least for me, outside of my own campus when I'm thinking about my tenure case, when I'm thinking about the 90 students I have this semester, you know, it's, it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's interesting. I, cause I, I, I struggle with that in terms of, I don't struggle with it. Let me say, let me say that I don't struggle with it in my own work because I'm stubborn. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but so, you know, so for me, it's like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. It's what I feel like I have to do. Um, for my own sanity. And I always say, you know, like I call myself an anti-academic because in terms of, <laughs> in terms of like the traditional, pseudo-academic. the pseudo or the pseudo academic, um, right? So, cause in terms of what's seen as being traditionally academic, that's not where I want to be. That's not what I want to do. I want my work to, to do something. And yeah, it, sometimes it does stuff on campus and, you know, I'm, I'm fine with being a campus shit starter. I'm fine with being a community shit starter. I am fine with being a global shit starter. Just let me be a shit starter. Right. Uh, and so, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Well, always, but more lately because I'm teaching a public rhetorics grad class next semester. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, and so I'm thinking about, you know, and I've been working through how I want to teach this grass seminar, right? And 
I want to teach it in such a way that we think about public rhetoric, not just in terms of, you know, a bunch of, you know, dead white men that have been gone for millennia, right? But also thinking specifically about how public intellectuals operate, right? And how to become a person who is um, an academic, but still a public intellectual, right? And how to do how to do activist work with your own scholarship if that's yeah. what you choose to do, right? And start to think about what that means for you. Because I know that a lot of, gra I know that a lot of grad students that I talk to kind of struggle with that, right? Because mm -hmm. they come to grad school to work on something because it is spurred on by something else, especially in rhetoric and composition, I think, because they're studying specific things, right? Specific cases or specific communities. Um, so they're working with specific things. So they're, they're already thinking about how rhetoric operates. And if you're thinking about how rhetoric operates, to just look at it, like I said, through a lens um, of, of, scholarship that is thousands of years old kind of stagnates that. Um, so I want folks to think about what they do in the communities and how the work that we do affects communities. Mm -hmm. right. um, so that's been like something that is like constantly cloying at me lately, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, what do I do this? How do I do this responsibly? That's always a big thing for me too. Cause I mean, I made a decision early on that, like I said, I was going to be, I was going to be, I was going to be a shit starter and that shit started this, I would deal with what came out of that. Yeah. But I feel a sense of responsibility to grad students. <laughs> I don't want them to become that same shit starter and then like never get a job or never get tenure, mm -hmm. right? Unless they are going into that situation, thinking specifically about what's going to happen if and when they do these things. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, Alicia knows this because, because she asked me all the time, am I going to get a job? Well, let's talk about this. <laughs> if I do this, will I get a job? <laughs> but, you know, like that, those, I mean, those are really real factors. And it's also, I remember being a grad student and saying to myself, like, oh, man, like when I, you know, get a tenure track job, I'm going to stop doing this thing I hate and I'm going to stop doing this thing I hate, right? But then once you're in the tenure track job, you're like, oh man, when I get tenure, I'm going to stop doing this thing and I'm not going <laughs> to care about that. And I feel like there's always a thing in our career that tells us to hold back because we right. got to wait until yeah. we have some affirmation or security to do the thing that we care about, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, when I was in grad school, I said, you know, I'm going to write about video games someday. And I tried to do it on the sly. <laughs> and the contest I was in, I could not have graduated and wrote about video games. I mean, they barely let me do like the 60s and 70s, you know, so I would not have succeeded and I would not have a PhD if I wrote about video games. But it is something that I was able to realize, but that's usually rare, you know, mm -hmm. that if you continue to push something, you have that receding, you know, horizon and you just never get there. So mm -hmm. I do think finding ways to foreground it and make it a part of you, you know, um, from the beginning is important. Mm -hmm. But figuring out how to do that in a way that also feels consistent with your other goals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the struggle. 
I guess, and that's always kind of been the struggle with me as being, you know, and being a, 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 pseudo-academic and anti-academic or quasi-academic, whatever way you want to put it, right, is academic, academia always felt, in the traditional sense, always felt too trifle, uh, trifling, well, that too, too stifling. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, and I think back to, um, I, I'm older than everybody else, right, so, but when I think back to when I was in grad school and I was choosing a dissertation topic and I wanted to look at, um, the rhetoric of um, composition, like not only pedagogy, but the but but um, theory and how it was treated historically in historically black colleges. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started to pitch this idea. I cannot tell you the number of faculty members who told me that that was not a valid project because mm -hmm. it studied HBCUs. Wow. Wow. Right. And um, and and I was stubborn. I was stubborn. I was stubborn as hell. And that was the thing that made me say um, to myself that I'm going to do what I want to do, um, and I'm gonna make it work. <laughs> and I'm gonna make it work. And the funny thing is that he doesn't listen to this podcast. I know he doesn't. But my dissertation chair at the time, when I when I was leaving and I had gotten a job, um, and he told first thing he told me he was like, I don't give a fuck what else you do. He was like, you better get tenure. And I said, why do you say that? He was like, because all these white folks around here think you never will. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm stubborn. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm petty. Uh, <laughs> I have all these things. And that just makes me more determined, right? Um, and it is that, right, that has always made me kind of buck against the system um, in a number of different ways. Um, and so for me to say, even early on, I mean, because it was 2000, maybe 2001 when I started studying games. Um, and that was unheard of in an English department. Yeah, that's early. Yeah. <laughs> that was unheard of in an English department. Um, so, you know, the, the struggle was real even then. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this stuff. And they were like, well, what are you writing about? What are you doing? I was like, video games. And they looked at me like I was insane. Um, most of them still look at me like I'm insane, um, <laughs> but they quickly realized that they also needed what I had to offer, which I think has, has changed the way people look at game studies in humanities. And I think that that yeah. goes back to what you were saying, Trey, in terms of folks starting to recognize the value of humanities in STEM disciplines when it comes to stuff like game studies is also made folks in the humanities yes. start to recognize the value of the work that we do with game studies, mm -hmm. even within the humanities, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not the single authored monograph that you're writing, you know, and I keep making this joke. This is like the second podcast in the row, right? Yet another single author monograph about Milton. <laughs> Or yet another single authored monograph about Shakespeare or Plato German, or Socrates. German cinema. German. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, because that was that was always, I remember the cinema classes I took when I was in undergrad, the film studies classes I took, and that was always the high point of everybody's. And you would just sit there and I would sit there and sleep through all that shit. Um, <laughs> they turned out the light and it was like instant nap. Um, but so I think that that not only do the STEM disciplines now see more of the value of what we have, but the humanities are seeing more of the value because they're seeing 
they're seeing us through the eyes of the STEM disciplines now. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that they're like, oh, this might be the way for us to save our own souls. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it comes down to. Yeah, that's exactly is, what it comes is down to. How can we stop the declining enrollment? Yeah. You know? And it's like, well, get me a lab. You know. And I'm film has been doing this work for a long time. Film has been like the little life preserver for folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like yep, yep it look has. At any you know humanities department um, that might be struggling with enrollment, look how many film classes they have, right? I wouldn't be surprised if video games um, comes to fill that role for some folks. Absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think about like my like my own struggles. We've gone from, you know, I've gone from struggling to do my own work as the only person in, a, in the program in the department who does game studies as a faculty member, right? To having an undergraduate major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? because they recognize that that major will always draw, right? Because it like my, because we offer limited games courses, unfortunately, because uh, there are not a whole lot of people to teach them, but they fail immediately. Mm-hmm. It's never a question of whether yeah. those classes are gonna make. It, it's, it's always a question of, is it day one or day two we have to add the wait list? Yeah. yeah. The good news for folks like Alicia and Bianca who are trying to get these jobs <laughs> is that, I don't think faculty who are not trained in this will feel confident to offer these classes no. the way they have often felt confident to offer film classes mm-hmm. right. or writing classes or anything yeah. else, right? All those other things that's like, oh, well, if you can, if you can watch a film and talk about it, you can teach it. Right. If right. you can, right. if you can write, you can teach writing. Right. Like, Nobody feels that way about games. I mean, <laughs> like everyone is scared. Everyone is they're so terrified. Scared. They're We've terrified. got this lab at Smith. I keep talking it up. I, I'm like, I hope some other faculty will teach classes and come use the lab, you know, with me. Um, yep. And nobody so far um, haven't had any takers. So. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we've talked about the perception of game studies within the humanities and then the humanities in STEM fields. And then, mm-hmm. you know, another thing to think about in, in this that, that I keep thinking of in this conversation is the perception of game studies in the greater public or teaching games you know, outside of the university. So, you know, like at a party. So I always call this uh, my white dude at a party encounter. And I just, that's just, it's because of the, it's because of the um, song. I think it's the Smith's girl, is it girlfriend in a coma? It's a horrible song, but like that, that song, that rhythm of that song is the way I sing this in my head. It's like white dude at a party. And then it's like, (laughs) I know, I know it's serious. So anyway, it's kind of an inside joke, but what happens is, is that it's all, because now I'm bringing the race and gender, you know, and like sexuality back, you know, in our title of our book, right? Right. Bringing it back to this and how those things matter in these contexts. So if I say, if someone, you know, you meet someone who they don't know you and they say, oh, what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm a professor. Oh, what do you teach? That is your, uh, that's your invitation to either yeah. avoid this encounter of white dude at a party. You may not avoid, you still may not avoid it, but I can guarantee you how you're going to run right into it. And that is to say video games. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm in an English department, but I teach video games. Yep. And then you get video how do you how do you teach video games? you teach classes <laughs> I have a story. so what do you do exactly how does that work yeah. and then what do you do play the game so then you get all this and then what i have realized is that people are generally 
mad that I, this queer <laughs> black woman, have gotten over somehow and am like sitting, you know, yes, sitting, sis. spending that ten year money teaching a class on video games. Can we call so this podcast? I've, I've, I've lived, I've lived through this conversation so many times that now I've, I now know what it is. Is that the questions that come, and it's like an inquisition. The questions that come mm. of like trying to get me to explain how I do it, and then it's, it's a long conversation and yeah. what do we do exactly and do we read and you know this and how did i come to do this and mm -hmm. do i what do i write i wrote a book and we write books about this <laughs> you know that all of that is re what it really boils down to yeah. is it's not acceptable mm -hmm. for me to teach that topic and to kind of seem to be enjoying it having fun i'm teaching video games as a black queer woman like mm -hmm. that's what i do and that's how i make my living mm -hmm. and people are <laughs> uh, livid about this mm -hmm. and it's usually white dudes at a party you know who are yep. just like mm -hmm. you do what and it's like an hour-long conversation <laughs> so when you're asked what do you do mm -hmm. now I, i've tried different answers now because i'm like the best with people so now i say Oh, I'm a writer. And someone was like, what do you mean? Like a freelancer, like a blogger? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's what I do. Like I've, I've tried different versions or if I really want to stop the conversation, I say, I'm an English professor. What do you teach? Writing conversation over. I totally get it. They, they don't have any more questions. Oh, you're a teacher, you're a writing teacher. Like that stops the conversation. But no, if I right. say, I, they don't, because they get, somebody has to teach this country how to write. So they get that, you know, it's a, it's like a tangible skill set. They get it. You, you grade papers, you teach, it evokes all these things yeah. that somehow in the yeah. world seem fair. It seems fair for me, black queer woman to mm. teach writing. That's okay. They understand that. But I want to make everybody mad. I teach popular culture. I teach video games. I teach new media. If I start on any of those, use any of those key terms. Yep. It's a long conversation. And what's really at the heart of it is you do that. You make money doing that. And especially because I'm not a computer scientist. I don't say I teach people. I teach coding and programming. And mm -hmm. I teach you how to build game worlds. I don't know where that conversation would go. But that's not my answer. I should start answering. Well, that that's hard. That, that's hard science. That goes. Yeah, I think I'd get off the hook a little sooner there. But then they would still say, "But that's you. That's what you do." I think there'd still be some skepticism, but it would be a shorter conversation than I teach this sort of cultural analysis of video games. Yep. It's not going to go well. So it's, it's a it's an hour long conversation at a party. Your oh, your drinks all watery. You know, you're not having fun. Mm -hmm. People nearby are uncomfortable because they hear you being. Grilled about what you do. Mm -hmm. It's like yes, I think and don't run into did. a don't run into a closet gator that asks you that question at a party. Yeah, and don't say, oh yeah, and the university buys all my equipment too. I got PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, I got what do you, what do you need? I got Xboxes, video games. <laughs> like I never, I haven't paid for a video game since two thousand eight. <laughs> you know, so like, don't say those things because it's not going to end well. tax dollars and that's an even bigger problem. Oh yeah. Public yeah. employee. It's over. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Trey, this just explained to me so many conversations I've had at parties. <laughs> you go through this too? You go through this too? Is it just me? It's a little no, different. I, I go through it too. Yeah. Woo. 
but with hard. Film, it's and my wife didn't believe me. The yeah. point, funny thing is, is she did not really get it until mm. she was right there when mm-hmm. a white dude in a party went through this, <laughs> and she was like, she like had to rescue me and was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I never knew. <laughs> I never saw it." And I'm like, "You see how he was coming for me? He was coming for me because." Uh, teach video games. Oh, and it was and it was the the writer the the oh I re- I'm a researcher so you know I twice a week I'm teaching classes on video games. The rest of the week I'm at home writing. That broke him down. That <laughs> broke him down. You were where at home? Are you a freelancer? What are you doing on those days when you're not on campus? You know, yes. reading and yes. writing. Yes. Uh, but see, you get paid to do. You get paid to read and write. You know that that is a hard conversation. Yeah, I, I just got to say something really quickly um, because I, I think it's, I told Sam the story yesterday, but uh, it, it highlights that. So I have a class this semester that's professional writing theory, and uh, we talk a lot about you know just various books and approaches or whatever we were talking about this weird moment in a book where this researcher went into like a massage school and everybody in the massage school just like came in and they took off their clothes and they all started giving each other massages and the researcher was like this is super weird right now it's really uncomfortable everyone is naked um, this doesn't feel right. How does it even work? Um, how can, how can we do this thing? Uh, and so our professor, um, asked us if we experience anything like this, where people come into our space and look at the things that we do, the practices and the research and think, well, that's strange. And people talked about stuff and there was a moment of silence and I just, uh, I took a deep breath and I said, well, I study video games. Mm. And everybody was like, yeah. yeah that's pretty much that isn't it and i'm like it it really is it is it is and it's everywhere see like like trey yes you always have white dude at a party who does that but i I run into it like everywhere and i can't hide it especially if i got my kid with me because i like i'll try to hide it i'll be like oh well you know i teach english or i teach blah 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 and my writing just say i teach writing but she's nine and she is so (laughs) Proud of everything I do. Oh, like, I want to. I want to yeah. do what you do when I grow up. So, like, we go somewhere. She'll be like, "My mama <laughs> <laughs> teaches video games, and she has an awesome podcast, and she streams, <laughs> and she does this, yes. and she does that." So, nah. <laughs> and, then, and people just sit there and stare at me, and I just kind of nod and keep going. Right? I'm like, I'm, I'm not going into this with you because I can see where it's going already. She outs you. She outs you. <laughs> Well, we're talking about white dude at a party, but I have students (laughs) who try to tell me my business, (laughs) and they shortly realize that that was a grievous error to attempt to do that. But it's even, I mean, we uh, I, I don't know about you all, but I even see it in the classroom where it's like, you get to teach video games? You get to teach me about video games? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And know about video yeah. games right yeah yeah i get that less from the students by now because i've been doing this for long enough mm-hmm. so you know they see me in my bow tie and they're like okay 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 that's that's what we got we get, if you want to study video games you know we get her in the bow tie and we're gonna talk about race again so yes. 
they're okay with it at that point again <laughs> that's the ticket that's the cost of admission and we go from there and you know we end up in pretty good places usually uh but yeah i but i did get that a lot in the beginning of like you know the and i still get it from certain students who will just you know you guys have talked about it before want you to prove you prove right. your 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 credibility by having played everything under the right. sun right. and have <laughs> an extensive you know conversation about some random game that they want you to have known mm-hmm. want you to know and you're like look no i don't play everything i play what i want to play i play what i'm interested in and what i want to write about and but have you played that's what i play <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> But have you played? But have you played? I started, it was funny. I, I started off my class a whole new semester, a whole new way this semester. I started it off with a couple of boys. I said, okay, so here's some things. I was like, I've been playing games longer than all of you have been alive. <laughs> I was like, in some cases, I've been playing games longer than most of your parents have been alive. And I said, so let's think about it in these ways. I was like, ways to ask me about games. <laughs> I was like, if you, if there's something you'd be like, oh, well, this kind of, I say, this is the, the proper way. Um, well, that's kind of like this other game that I play, blah, blah, blah. And here are the connections. That's fine. Mm-hmm. The way to not play is because then you're going to really make me angry is to say, but I have, I guess, I bet you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that is something you will never do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, and other things to do. If you disagree with something I say, I am all for it. You'd be like, oh, well, you know, here's a way to do it. Well, I've seen this. This is interesting, right? Way to not to do it. Well, actually. (laughs) 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 And I had one student do that, one, while we were having class. I heard about this from somebody else. Uh-oh. Somebody was like, ooh, somebody just, well, actually. (laughs) He said, well, actually. And I stopped. Stopped all conversation, and I turned around and I looked at him and I pointed and I said, "Did you just well actually?" <laughs> <laughs> and that was the moment that everybody in class stopped because they were like, "Dude, no, no, just here, just duck down low, and maybe she won't see you." <laughs> <laughs> because so, I mean, and I I, I try to do it good naturedly, but mm-hmm. I want them to understand that this is the treatment that women get, and this is something they should not be doing. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and that, that's a that's a big thing because some of them, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt for about thirty seconds. Some <laughs> of them don't understand mm-hmm. that that's what they that's what they're doing, and that's what women encounter all the time in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of it do. Some of them do it intentionally, and those are the ones that I let go with all the wrath of hell, mm-hmm. um, so that they don't do it again. Mm-hmm. So I mean. It's just kind of <laughs> so your your whole story about like why do that at the at a party mm-hmm. started making me think about you know you know do the game stop started making me think about you know yeah. dude that shows up in class and and gets mad the first day picks up all the shit and walks out and never comes back I've had one of those I've had one of those who got me so too. mad me when too. We, <laughs> he was like you know he was there to play games he was CGT kid he there and you know and we started talking about diversity in games and he got. So so pissed up. He picked up all his stuff, shoved it in the bag, and just stormed out of the classroom. I was like, oh, well, y'all, so that's one less we got to deal with. And everybody just busted out laughing. I'm like, I'm not here to play your game. Yeah. One so I mean, One less paper to grade. Exactly. <laughs> one less paper to grade. One less person to talk about projects with. One less, you know, everything at the end of the semester. I'm down with that. 
and it was early enough, maybe somebody take a spot. Because we got a wait list. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> uh, the joys of the work, y'all. The joys of the work. Yeah. All right. So here's the here's the I think we've asked all our questions. And Trey, you know, you know, you know my last trick, right? My this is the trick where I ask you. So what didn't we ask you that you would have liked for us to have asked you? Um, so like something we didn't cover, something you think is interesting, um, these kinds of things. What didn't we ask you that you wanted us to, you would have liked for us to ask that we didn't? You didn't ask me to come to Indiana. <laughs> I, I invited myself. I not only I asked you, but I promised you. I promised I'm opening the fridge. Come in, open the fridge, do what you need to do. Yeah. No. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything you guys haven't asked. Just, you know, I, I hey, I want to come back. You asked me to come back again. Because the third time, I want one of those little drawings of myself. You know, I'm into the drawings of myself, obviously. But you guys have the dope headers and characters of yourself. I don't even have to appear anywhere in the, like, your universe. Just send, just email me, whoever did that drawing. Just, just do one of me. That would be so awesome. Um, so, yeah. You guys just have to ask me for more. You're going for the three-peat on this podcast? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you have an open and freestanding invitation to come back anytime you want, Trey. And you too, Jen. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank yes, you. please come back. You don't even have to bring Trey. We love Trey, but you <laughs> <laughs> now I'm displaced. Now suddenly I'm just saying that that it's also okay for you to come on your own. Like you know what? I will say though, I've been watching Trey on this video feed, and I don't think she's been playing NBA 2K uh -huh. while we've been talking. <laughs> I have not. Still in the gym. So good behavior. I think I think you can write her back. Yep. My my young athletic shooting guard Trey is still in the gym. Standing there, <laughs> just moving back and forth. Wait, waiting for his turn. Waiting for his turn. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. This has been a blast. Yeah, thank um, you all. Thanks for all the work you're doing with this great show. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, we're assholes, but we try really <laughs> well, hard. You know what? That's you. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm nice. <laughs> I'm the nice one. Um, no, no, not at all. Uh, but yeah, so thanks. And like I said, you, you have an open and freestanding invitation to come back anytime. You don't have to come back when you have a, a new book project. You can come back even if you just want to come talk about games or if you just want to come talk about anything. Feel you know, free. Actually, I have one thing you didn't ask me that I want to say. I have an Ooh. idea for uh, a future episode for you all. Uh -oh. uh, I'm Ooh. sure I've got some students who would love to come on your show and talk about doing game studies uh, from an undergrad perspective at a women's college. I have some really cool oh. folks. Hell yeah. Uh, you know, Bianca and I are apparently overriding Sam. We're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sam. I'm here. Sam's like, I got enough students in my life. <laughs> Everybody else is like, that's awesome. <laughs> and they have played so many of the games. They're, I mean, if they ask me, but have you played? The answer is no, but they've played all the things and they have thoughts on all the things, so. I'm into okay. that. That sounds cool. All right. 
Well, like I said, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and uh, so I guess with that, good gravy, that brings us to the end of episode 162. That's a whole lot of episodes. Um, so it's a nice short episode for everyone. A nice short, <laughs> but it was a fun episode. Yes. So until next time when we have episode 163, where we are sure to uh, be well-behaved and uh, <laughs> not curse or any of that other stuff. Um, <laughs> we would like to stay. Uh, stay warm, stay dry. And as always, my friends, game on. Yeah. Yay. Woo.